Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast today. I've been waiting for this one. This is a long time planning. I've got Isabel Porzakansky, the founder and president of People Traction. I had, had no idea that you were in food and beverage. I thought you were HR all the way, but you were in operations and you're seeing celebrities and it can be very addicting when you're in food and beverage, especially all the rush, but it's crazy and you're working weekends and holidays. So when you sat down to make that change, were you something about HR that you liked or was it, oh, I don't have to work weekends? Or you're like, man, I really like working with people and helping people. What was it that cooked you there? Yeah, it was really a combination. I, I knew that in the long term, I wanted to have a more stable schedule and eventually, you know, get married and have kids. And mm-hmm. that was always in the cards for me. And I know you can certainly do it in, in operations. It's just a little bit more challenging. But if you're in the right company with the right mindset and the right values, there's plenty of uh, successful working mothers in every industry, uh, hospitality as well. But uh, I wanted to try something new. I really did. And it was a very small HR department. It was the director and me, uh, Julie Belva, who's incredible. She's still in New York and is uh, one of my mentors. And uh, so I learned so much in a small team of two and in a union environment where I had to learn Mm -hmm. all that. Uh, so that was fascinating, but that was the start. That's amazing. And so I've always kind of wondered, because I've seen some people transition from operations to HR, but did you come with a bunch of operations ideas that they had to look like, she had to train you down on a little bit? Like, no, that's, we can't really do it that way. Or I hear you, but we need to do it this way to, to do it safely. Was it anything like that? Or you adjusted pretty quickly? I think the best HR, finance, marketing people come from operations. I really do. And if you don't understand the core of the business, right, which is that's how money comes in, it's going to be difficult for people to relate to you. Like, I know what it is to stand up, right, 16 hours a day or work, you know, every holiday and get sometimes yelled at by a guest. Uh, But I also know the rewards, how wonderful it is, you know, to be a part of somebody's wedding or convention. I think understanding operations is critical for anybody in any of those support administrative roles. That's good. So you're there at the mark. Seems like you've getting your foot in the HR world. And then you make a change to a company we were going to mention a couple times. 
uh, but you make a change and you join the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group. How does that come onto your radar? So what happened is that actually Mandarin took over the hotel and I was we were part of the due diligence process. So uh, the mark started being managed by, by Mandarin Oriental as they were building Mandarin Oriental in Columbus Circle across the park. Mm-hmm. Um, so I transitioned to work in that team. At that time, I became uh, the training manager. So we added one more position to the HR team because now you're part of a larger uh, hospitality group, different standards, a little bit more structure. So that was wonderful. So did that for a couple of years. And then 9-11 happened, right? We were all at work that morning and the world really changed that day. You know, and if you were in Manhattan, it just felt really, really close uh, because it was. So I had just gotten married about a month before that, exactly a month. Oh my gosh! To my husband, who I met working at the Mark. Oh, very nice. I know. You see, you could have the relationships working in the hotels. You can. You know, I, it's a funny story. Uh, you know, we fired somebody together. He was in operations, and I was in a job. <laughs> Uh, and then we really, we needed a drink after that. <laughs> well, that was the beginning of it. So if they get that story from Andrew, be like, all right, so you liked her style firing someone and now you married her. Like, That's good. right. That's right. So we had just gotten married, as I said, and it, we were starting to think about starting a family and leaving New York after being there for, for four years. And uh, that's when I joined Four Seasons. So for the listeners, they know. I've applied at Four Seasons twice, and one time was just told no. The other time, they were like, it's too small a hotel for you, Steve. You're going to get bored. But I've always imagined what it would be like working at Four Seasons. And you spent 12 amazing years there. And I really want to kind of talk about the rise, because a lot of people that work at that hotel company stay there for a long time. And so talk to me about when you first started there. Was it something that was easy to get into because you had Mandarin Oriental experience? Was it someone you knew? How did that start when you moved cities and started? Yeah, so the opportunity was at Four Seasons Palm Beach and I was referred by Julie Belva, who I said was my boss, who had worked for Four Seasons, uh, who recommended to her friend, Shelly Comitur, another incredible mentor in my career, uh, who was the director there. And I, I flew there and we had lunch and we connected right away and uh the same with the general manager we had coffee and connected right away and it wasn't really an interview and i think that's what's really important your your resume or kind of your skills talk by to them they talk by themselves right it's really about are you aligned in terms of the culture and the core values of what they're trying to do and there was always complete alignment i would say both with mandarin and with four seasons because of what they believe in and what I believe in. So mm-hmm. no company is perfect, right? We all know that. So, but if you are aligned with their their vision and their mission, then it becomes so much easier. So you join Four Seasons, you're in a new place. You Had you ever lived in Florida or is this your first time moving and living in Palm Beach? This was our first time living in Palm Beach. And imagine moving from New York City to Palm Beach, where <laughs> the restaurants closed at 8 p.m. Yeah, well, I was going to say. Well, Pretty crazy. But so, yes, I moved there. We bought our first home there. My husband was working at the Boca Resorts and commuting a little bit. We lived in Boynton Beach. Wonderful memories. Incredible team for Seasons Palm Beach. It was um, just a great school and a great first four seasons, if you will, because mm-hmm. very well run and very successful. And then you start making this run of moving up within the company. And so this is where 
I think it could be good advice, especially when you're married to somebody and you're moving up. I'm curious, how did you start to do these things where you move across the country? Was it something that he had to move and then you had to move or was it you had an opportunity and you got supported? Because I know for a lot of listeners, they wish they could make some of these moves, but it's sometimes scary to do. That's a great question. And yes, always scary. And this is where you have to be really, uh, um, I'd say, connected and share the same uh, goals as your life partner, right? We wanted uh, to be in the United States. We were still on visas at this time. I've had every single visa you can imagine. I had, <laughs> so I started with a J1, then I got, we got H1s because my husband's not, was not American either at the time. Now we both are. So we were in Palm Beach for two years. Uh, you know, as I said, we bought a house and we had our eldest son. And then Debbie Brown was the VP of HR for the Americas. An incredible, again, sorry, I keep naming mentors and people that I've known for so long and have been so supportive uh, along the way. Debbie was like, okay, Isabel, you're going you're gonna to go to the Beverly Wilshire and uh, it's going to be great. You're going to learn California law and uh, you're going to have, you know, six different unions in that hotel. So it's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, I was like, okay. So, you know, we sold our house and off we moved to LA with our five-month-old uh, son. And you're living in uh, Beverly Hills. We did. And what a hotel, right? We we got super lucky. My husband was able to find the job right away. He was working at the Beverly Hilton. And believe it or not, we both walked to work. We found a great little apartment in Beverly Hills. And we both walked to work. Awesome. In LA is unheard of, right? And we had an incredible nanny, to be honest, because it's very, very difficult to uh, to have a full-time job and, uh, and, and be a full-time mom too. And uh, it really takes a village. And for, for a very long time, my salary just paid for childcare for a very long time. And what happened at the Beverly Wilshire, the work was really intense, over 600 employees. I used to go home, have dinner, and then at 8 p.m. I used to go back to the office until 11 p.m. I did that for a couple of years. Why was that? Because a lot of people think HR, like, oh, you're done five o'clock. We'll see you later. Was it just so many different things happening? What, what was it? Yeah, it was so, uh, I was without a director for some time. I was still assistant director at the time. Was without director for some period of time. There was a lot of activity going on on the, on the, on the labor side. So that always can be very busy. But I learned so much, so much. It was really uh, such a great uh, school in LA. What a great place to, to be, right? We had, oh, in, in those two years, we also had our second son. So that kept me busy too. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then our visas expired. So we had to leave the U.S., basically. Um, so that was it. You couldn't, like, I don't know the laws well enough in, in the visas that shame yeah. on me with two employment attorney married to one and my dad being one. <laughs> so your visas run up and yeah. you have to leave. And that's yeah, it. And you tell four seasons, like, hey, you got to move me. Yeah. Yeah. So we had H-1B visas at the time. Again, both working, my husband's career, very successful, progressing along the way. Yes. And uh, But it was easier for me to obviously get an opportunity with Four Seasons Abroad. So we went to we went to London to Four Seasons Canary Wharf, which is no longer a Four Seasons, but it was a wonderful hotel. And uh, my husband got a job right away. He's from, he's from the UK, so he was able to find the job pretty easily as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, Debbie Brown told me, we'll bring you back. Don't worry, we'll bring you back. And uh, so, go ahead, sorry. 
No, I like I like where the story's going. And so yeah. you're in London, your assistant director. Do you have a director at that hotel? I do have a director. Typically, the, the plan was always you need to be an assistant director in two places before you become a director. That was always the mandate. And ideally, a resort and then a city hotel. So I was ready to be a director, but there was there were no director uh, positions available. So I said, okay, we'll do a, another assistant director stint. Uh, hopefully it's short and hopefully we come back to the U.S. soon. So that's how it happened. And we were in London for short. It was like just over a year, about 18 months, which is the time of period that you need to be away to come back with an intercompany transfer visa or an L1. Wow. Um, so you made it very well known. Like, I'm not staying here. Even though your husband's from there, we want to be in the U.S. And I'm yeah. sure he's doing the same with his companies, right? Or is he? That's hoping, right. Yeah, you know? no, that's right. That's right. That's right. And we were always very aligned in that. We said we want to be in the U.S. We're going to have our family in the United States. We, we knew that that was the goal, and, and so did the team at Four Seasons. So I got the call that the HR director position at Four Seasons Miami was open. And uh, obviously, I speak Spanish, being from, from Uruguay. So it was a perfect, uh, perfect. We really felt like we won the lottery when I got that call. So when you get that call, is Miami like one on the hit list? They say, I want to be in Miami, or are you ready to go back to the U.S. at any? They say, hey, we're going to put you at Jackson Hole, Four Seasons, you going there, or is it, I need to be in one of these cities? How do you navigate that when you're moving up? You're an assistant director, but not an executive yet, but you're valued because they've trusted you at some great properties. How do you handle that for listeners that might be dealing with that right now? Yeah, it's interesting because the universe works in mysterious ways. I, when I was in London, I, I was I applied for a couple of Four Seasons jobs that opened, and I said I want to put my name in the hat and didn't get it. I put my name in the hat and didn't get it. And then this most incredible opportunity to come to Miami, where we have family and friends. So things really work out. I think I even applied for you know I think it was St. Louis that was opening up or Baltimore. Like places that I had no connection necessarily to, but I was just mm -hmm. so eager to come back. And my husband was also very eager to to come back. So really, we felt like we won the lottery when we got the call. And I came to to Miami in, yeah, it was April of 2008 with, you know, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Yep. And what I really say is kind of the last boat from Europe because then the recession hit and nobody was moving. And, right. Uh, yeah. So that was interesting timing. Yeah. So you've had some big things happen that kind of shut down tourism a lot. And 2008 for listeners who you remember working, I was working. I remember it was very scary because there were a lot of layoffs and things like that going on. And this is your first time as a director as well. So I have two questions on this. We'll go start with one. When you became a director the first time, did you feel any different? Was it like, wow, this is my show and you're in a new city? Or was it Wow. All right. I got here. Now I got to figure out a bunch of things. You know, I felt ready. I did feel ready. I knew the company. I knew the culture. I had the most incredible team and the most incredible general manager, Ricardo Acevedo, who is legendary in his own right. Uh, and if you've met Ricardo he, he or not, he's had an incredible career with Four Seasons. Prior, prior to that, I believe he worked for Hilton. And he is now consulting and living in Colombia. But I couldn't have gone through what I, what, you know, what we all went through in 2008 without uh, him as an incredible leader who made you feel 
you know, he was that North when you had to make difficult decisions and the team was sometimes, you know, struggled or, or, you know, to make mm-hmm. the right decision. And he was, he always put people first. Four Seasons and Mandarin are both companies that always put people first. But when things get really hard, as they did, you know, on, on 9-11 or 2008, it's when your core values are really put to a test and you really have to put the money where the mouth is. So he was the right leader for that time. That's great because I'm sure you came in and had to make some of these tough calls in 2008 as a brand new face at this hotel. That was my second question. Did you have to do those things when you got there or was it already done before you arrived? No, I laid off about 100 people uh, within three months of arriving. And, you know, I know we'll get to COVID in a minute, but as you said, it was kind of my second time going through a global crisis, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it's all how you do it, right? Everybody that walked out of my office walked with, walked out of, with a list of hotels or restaurants that were hiring for that position, a contact person that knew that they were going to call them. So they walked out of that office with hope and a plan, right? And knowing that when business came back, we would call them back. So they, everybody understood, just like they understood with COVID, that this is not something we did. This is something bigger than us, but we control how we handle it, right? And how we communicate and how we treat you as a member of, of, of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that you have a family to support. So we, 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 we do it, you know, the best possible way. I see. And you handled it well. You're there for six years. And in that six years, Miami really transforms. Because at the time when you started, there wasn't too much in downtown Miami where that Four Seasons is located. Everything kind of builds up over those six years, a lot of competition, but you keep being the top hotel with some of the top cultures and and having uh, so many people who want to work there. I always looked at HR as like the keeper of the culture. How did you create and maintain that while you were there? Yeah, it's interesting. And obviously a lot of HR departments now are called people and culture. I, I As much as I agree that HR is the gatekeeper in some ways, Culture is demonstrated by everybody. So if HR can really say, oh, we're the keepers of the culture. Well, if the general manager or the director of rooms or director of F&B don't behave aligned with that culture, it doesn't matter what HR does, right? You can't really control that. So the culture is really everybody. I really believe it's one employee at the time, one colleague at the time. It's those one-on-one interactions. Yes, you do the parties, you do the events, you do the recognition, you celebrate milestones, you do all of that. But it's that one-on-one interaction that you're having in the hallway when some, somebody just doesn't look right, right? Mm-hmm. Something's bothering them. And you stop and you say, what's going on? You're okay? No, I'm not okay. Okay, tell me what happened. It's those opportunities. Could be something personal, could be something professional, could be something that just happened, you know, with their families back home. And, and people bring their whole selves to work, right? And in hospitality, yes, we have to put on a show and you're on character mm-hmm. and you have to be your best, right, in front of guests. But they're humans, right? These are people that have problems every day, challenges every day. And so I really believe that you build a culture on those one-on-one interactions. I love that. I think for anyone listening, that's just rewind that for a minute. I think that's what matters is seeing those people day to day from every position and just having those conversations, what really makes a difference. 
See, I, I never had the chance to work with you, Isabel, and that's where I figure I would have learned a lot from you. And I, just personal question for my own selfishness, if we had been working together at the executive level, are you calling me out as a food and beverage director or a hotel manager saying, hey, you need to maybe take a look at this differently and maybe you shouldn't talk that way? Is that how you were doing it or were you doing it another way? No, hell yeah, hell yeah. Because there's a couple of things, right? You may not realize you're doing things a certain way or behaving in a certain way. And, and somebody has to be that conscious, right? And I always saw myself as the conscious, even as the general manager, because the higher up you get, the less feedback you get. Let's be honest, right? Mm -hmm. People are scared to tell somebody, hey, you messed up. You know, that joke you made, that was not appropriate. Or, you know, that comment you made, that didn't make people feel very well, very good about themselves or... So somebody has to play that role. And I was very fortunate to work with great leadership teams and great general managers that I had very strong. You build them, really. No, it takes time to build that trust where you can go to them and say, do you have a minute? Can we talk about that meeting? Or can we talk about that conversation? Or can we talk about, you know, maybe how you behaved in the restaurant last night? Or you're coming to the spa mm -hmm. too often or whatever the situation might be. But yeah, it takes time to build those relationships. But people, sometimes nobody tells them because they think they, they assume that they know. And no, sometimes you have to tell people. Yeah, it's true. I know there's a, a lot of GMs that might be, we say, the old school way, and they need someone like you in their ear. So I'm sure everyone was lucky enough to work with you. And sometimes they'd be like, all right, I hear you. I hear you, Isabel. I'll work on that. You. So you're doing that for six years. You're really doing a tremendous job there. And I think for myself and a lot of listeners out there, this will be an interesting kind of turn of events because, like I said, most people work for four seasons, 20 years, 25 years, they keep going. You make a change and join a great Miami company called 50 Eggs. How does that come onto your radar and you make that change? Amazing. Great question. I knew I could have stayed in that job forever. And a lot of people do, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you're always busy. There's always something going on. But I've always had this kind of entrepreneurial chip inside of me. Um, and it's funny because during those six years uh, with Four Seasons in Miami, I had three different general managers. All of them are still very close friends. And uh, I think after the crisis passed, I already had gone to my second general manager and said, you know, just, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to do this forever. What do you want to do? I'm not sure, but I don't think I want to do this forever. And then you get a new boss and it's like a whole new day and you have to prove yourself all over again, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody should know that every time you get a new boss, you got to prove yourself all over again. And after that, I was like, you know what? I think it's time. And I started just speaking to people. And then John Concord, the CEO and owner of 50 Eggs, you know, who I admired tremendously, he reached out to me. And kind of started, oh, wow. sending, yeah, he reached out to me because he was a big Four Seasons user or, or admirer of the brand. Mm -hmm. and he was like, wouldn't it be great to have somebody from Four Seasons running my, you know, people and culture team? So he reached out to me and uh, started, took, took me like six months to make the decision. I met with the COO and the CFO who are, you know, Eddie Acevedo and uh, Ignacio Garcia Menocal, who now run Globe Bay Hospitality Group. Another great very, brand. Very successful and have done really great things and will continue to do them because they are very, very driven and passionate. 
So complete alignment with these three, with John and Eddie and Van Diggy. And uh, so I think they had made bets that I was never going to leave. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I would have, I would have bet against that. <laughs> so on January 2nd, I resigned and, uh, and joined 50 eggs. So with the resignation, were your family and friends thinking you're crazy or are they supportive? What was that like? Because that could be, it's a big life change. It's a big life change. And uh, it might be interesting for some of the people listening that I took a pay cut. I took a pay cut. I did. I was so committed to learning something new and taking myself out of my comfort zone and learning a different industry, because in many ways it is very different, that I was, you know, it's never been about the money for you. And, and, mm-hmm. and obviously you have, to, you have to pay your bills and put your kids to school and buy food. But my north has never been, oh, where am I going to get paid more? How am I going to do, you know, yeah. earn more money? So, and I never regretted it, never regretted it because I learned so much. And it was very difficult in the beginning. I always say it was like being, you know, on stage without a script. Everything I thought I knew didn't apply. It was a whole new day and different knowledge and different uh, experiences that I, so it was, you know, it was, you know, I was stretching myself. Mm-hmm. And so with that, uh, you know, you're at Four Seasons, you've been at Great Brands, and 50 Eggs is a great brand, but it's different where you have a lot of layers, and there's a lot more people that you can call on for things, but the position you took on really is at a restaurant group that was growing at the time. What was the biggest difference, or I don't want to say shock, but what was the biggest difference that you're like, wow, I got to really step up here and learn this? You know, working at a different pace. And it's what I was looking for, by the way. I I wanted to work in an environment where I could create and make decisions quickly and done is better than perfect. And just Mm -hmm. let's try and if it doesn't work, we move on. So I, you know, when you're in a big corporation, it's harder to do those things, to be truly creative. There's There's a template and it's how you operate and how you do things. And there's a lot of standards. Mm-hmm. And that's how you scale. Of course, that's how you scale and you create consistency. So when it's a smaller company, oh, so much fun, right? So much fun. Today, I'm very excited to have Laura Barbieri, a corporate human resource director and executive coach here joining us. Laura, thanks so much for joining us. How did you start to transition away from housekeeping? You take this mindset because you're at this hotel for a long time. Yeah, because I've been in front of office, then really like the interaction with the customers. I really enjoy the interaction with the, with all the guests. And then I start growing and growing and rooms, rooms division, uh, in housekeeping, in front desk, business center, guest relation manager, PBX, PBX supervisor, at your service manager, positions like, oh, I was doing a lot. And suddenly there was a position open in the hotel that was the director of services. It was a new position, was the number two for at that time for the director of rooms. So, of course, I applied. I really thought that position was made especially for me. And I went to the interview and it was a great interview with the general manager, which I never had the chance to see with him, but I did a great interview. I was ready for the offer. And they say, oh, we proceed with another candidate, which was the front office manager. 
at this time he's a good friend of mine and <laughs> still good and, and gm of another hotel yeah very successful person they did the right choice but at that time i thought that i was the right choice so i say i went to hr i said this is the moment when i have to go to hr and explain what happened so i wanted someone to give me more feedback because i really feel that was failing I was not ready to fail. I was ready to keep growing and growing and growing. So the HR director at that time told me, well, Laura, there's always opportunities. And I say, oh, always opportunities, but I don't see them. I, I really need a lot for this opportunity to come. And now I don't see, I couldn't see anything else. I was, I guess I was so shocked, I was blind, so, the HR director told me, well, by the way, uh, I'm opening one position in the hotel and you are the perfect fit is a training manager. And I say, wow. training manager, HR, working with you in an office, not being able to walk around on the hotel. You're, I, you're, kill, you're killing me alive. I mean, like, <laughs> why yeah. are you doing this to me? I just came for, uh, for some feedback and... I will end working in that, Laura, think about it. I'm telling you because I see you in this position, not because I don't have anyone. It's just I see you training people because you help me training everyone. And I say, yes, but I, I help you because I like training, but I do it because it's my responsibility and because I enjoy it. And he said, but you do it and you do it well. So think about it. But come to me and see me tomorrow because I need an answer. I was in wow. shock, Steve. I was in shock. I was, I just went there because I I needed to cry. I didn't want anyone else to see me. So the day that I was considered that day um something negative, it became the the start of a new beginning of my career. Because a week after I was the training manager working in HR, reporting to the director of HR and start traveling from one place to another one to get trained, to be able to train some people. So it was new. I was not feeling comfortable the first year maybe because it's a big transition from operations to HR but then, well, here I am almost more than 20 years later uh, working for the same area, area that I thought I'm going to be here for a year, then I'm going to move back to rooms, continue my career, become GM, check, 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 period, done. So now you, you gave us oh. a lot of this story. You gave a lot of good story here. So I want to come back a couple of steps because that moment in someone's life could go different ways, right? You could have stayed in the role that you were in and been upset and maybe moved to a different hotel. But what made you that night when you went home? What what made you? What were you thinking about? What was it? Yeah, I'm going to be a GM of a hotel. I don't want to go to HR. But what made you think about trying it? I was thinking, yes, I want to be a GM of the hotel. So maybe if I stay for a year and get some knowledge about HR training and all the policies and the law, et cetera, et cetera, I will be able to be a better GM. Okay, that was one thought. And then I started putting a list together, pro and cons, and I was doing my list. Oh, well, besides that, mm, yes, I will make more money because they mentioned that. Um, 
I didn't ask because I was not thinking of the money, but I did my list. And I said, there's a lot here. I can do this for a year. So I went back the next day and I, and I say, yes, I was not very, I mean, convinced. Like I was convinced, mentally convinced, but my body was still in a different mood. I was in operations. Yeah. It's very different. Mm -hmm. I was in operation. <laughs> it was difficult to be in an office. Um, but then everyone started coming to HR, which was another challenge that they have. And I didn't know because for me, HR was a nice area to go and, and visit. And I like the people working there, but I was not going very often. But then I saw so many people start coming to HR because they knew me from other areas. So they asked me a question that I was not for a training manager, was more for an for an HR director or an HR manager or a generalist, but they start asking me and I want to provide an answer. So I know the kind of person that like to say, oh, go to the person as this. And no, I say, I will find out. So I learned and I passed the information. I started getting so involved in HR just because I wanted to help some other people, not because it was my intention to learn more about that. I was already pretty busy with training. And I started liking it. I provided answer, feeling, seeing how people was relieved after coming to HR and uh, find solutions, provide answers. And I started seeing how that can change people's life and in, in the workplace and outside the workplace as well. Because not knowing what is going to happen is is. It's a bad feeling that you take home or that or that does not help you to perform your job well. And, and I get so passionate about communication part at that time. So how long were you in that training manager role? How long did you be were you just that position? I've been in two years in that position. Uh, we have one day more hotels start opening in South America. Central America, North America, me, North of uh, Latin America. And Mario started expanding a lot. They saw in the Caribbean and Latin America region, uh, Cala, it became a boom. So hotels started opening. So we have one of our VP of HR visits from Bethesda at that time. And I was having a one-on-one -on -one meeting it was the time when VPs and everyone have the time to say, let's have our one-to-one -one meeting. I don't hear that like in so long because everyone looks like running, but it was it was really nice practice that I tried to do it a lot with people. That's a big meeting, um, right? They're coming from corporate Maryland. They're coming yeah, down to Latin America to meet down. with you. Were you nervous? Were you preparing? I was excited because I love I love regional meetings. <laughs> When they were coming and they were saying, oh, we have the regionals coming from Maryland. I was, oh, wow. I was prepared. I was, I don't know. I was trying to reorganize everything to make sure that, that at least from as much as I can do, they they found everything good. They, they give good compliments to the hotel, to the managers. So in one-on-one -on -one meeting, talking about the future, I didn't know that the future could be so close to me because they mentioned about a hotel opening in Santiago, Chile, which was a huge hotel, big Marriott brand and everything. And I was, oh, that is so nice. We're going to have a 
hotel pretty close to where we are um, because the closest hotel in to Buenos Aires was Mexico at that time. We was like very far away. And they say, no, I want you in the DHR position for that hotel. I was in shock. I was, well, for them, maybe in US at that time, you get used to move from one state to another one and that was easy. But moving from one country to another one is not. And I was thinking, she saw something in me that I didn't see before. She saw that I was ready for the next position. I thought for myself that I was learning, still in the process of learning, of training, of HR, of benefits, of everything that involves the area. But the other person saw that I was ready. So a month later, I was moving and living in Chile starting this new position as a director of human resources of the Santiago Marriott Hotel. So I like hearing about this. I like, I like hearing about the first time somebody becomes a director at an executive level. And it's a big jump for you because now you're also moving out of the country. What was that step like for you? This is um, it's a critical step in everyone's career because from that time on, when you join the international division of the company and become an executive committee member and leave your country at that time, and now I think there's no way back. Once you put your feet on that plane, right. you are gone. Your international career starts. You become something different. You start different in living in different cultures. And this is the time that you make it or you break it. You realize once you leave your country, if you're ready for this business, if you're ready for this brand, for the philosophy, for the culture or the multicultural experience, if you're an executive, you have to realize too many things at the same time. You make it or you break it. It's, it's not easy at the beginning, getting used to everything. Besides all that, it was my first executive committee member position, so I had to learn about the role. I was an expat. i never been an expat. I have an expat package and everything, like every single expat at Marriott at that time, and a lot of things to deal with. But I really enjoyed it. It was intense. It was a lot. It was crazy. And I fell in love with this life. And I never stopped doing it until today. Yeah, because that's the step where really you go to be a human resource director. And there's only a few people I know who went from human resource director back to GM. So once you're in human resources, that really is the career you take on most of the time. Not all the time. But you excel at it. You were at that hotel for six and a half years growing and learning. And I think something you said at the beginning, like you were making a name for yourself. You were being seen right so tell me about how you grew in this hotel to get to the next location at the time we have a another vp of hr so in a conversation in a one-to-one -one session with a person talking about the next steps uh, i was ready to take more hotels as a dhr like multi-property but there's not multi-property many places and I needed to be in a place with more revenue, more employees. So she say, let me think about it. Let me consider a few places. Uh, probably there are some people moving, but I will get back to you because yes, you're ready to move to. And 
next destination, next country, next hotel, brand, whatever. So two days after she called me from, from, from her office in US and said, you know what, Laura? Uh, yes, I have one. I have the place for you, but I want you to be honest and say if you want it or not. And you're going to have an interview there. You're going to spend two days because I want you to feel familiar with the place. If you don't feel good, let me know and we look for another place because that area is super, super tough to work in HR and it's Mexico City. And it's one of uh, our biggest hotel in the region. So I took a plane. I have an interview with the best GM I ever worked with, person that I admire a lot. And I like the hotel. I like everything, of course, the GM, because I wanted to work with someone that, that can guide me through the, to my next level. So yes, but it was a, a different, difficult decision because it's, the place is huge and unions are where a lot. Right. So that's what I was going to ask next. I have two questions. First, we need to know that we need to know the general manager's name. We have to give him a shout out. Who is this person? Yes. Mike Rock. Mike Rock. So we thought, oh, yeah. So listeners, look at Michael Rock and send him a little thumbs up if he listens to this. So you're working there, but you mentioned what was it about having a GM like that? Now I'm curious, right? Oh, people always want to hear about the, the best and favorite GM. What made you feel that way? Wow. <laughs> My rock is fast. He's smart. <laughs> he can see the future in a second. He will, he will give you an answer to every single executive member. doesn't matter what, what is the matter, if it's about marketing, finance, F&B, rooms, HR he will right away get the answer. He's got like a computer in his brain. Like uh, he's fast, he's, he's a fixer, and he's really good with people. He participates and tries to get very involved with a culture that even he learned Spanish to, when he was living in Mexico, when he left Mexico, he was already speaking in Spanish. When he left to take a position at host, I was just kidding. I say, oh, you know what, Mike? Now you're going to be learning Portuguese because you're going to be traveling to Brazil. Ha, ha, ha. Um, year later, he called me and said, they had lunch. We were in Miami because he's in Miami now. And he was speaking Portuguese <laughs> to connect Amazing. with the people there. So things like that is like, wow. <laughs> it's really connect with people and engage, but in a different level. He's intelligent. This is you can see that as soon as you see him. So for me, that was like, yes, I need to go to that and work for the hotel for Marion for Mark. And the interview was long. I didn't know the owners of the hotel was Marriott. Marriott doesn't own hotels, you know, but that specific hotel, yes, they own. And every single exec committee member that was working in that property was very carefully selected. <laughs> and go through a process because of the owner. So when sometimes people, when people tell me something, oh, how is dealing with the owners of the hotels? Imagine who was the owner. So I'm glad I have Mike guiding me through all the reporting and everything that we did because we shine in that hotel. We became number one place to work, you know, Mexico, number two and three. 
we made it. I mean, everyone was fantastic. He was only hiring number ones. Mai will never hire number two. He, is, he knows exactly what he wants and what the business wants and needs. As you move around, I think we talked about this once in the past, is you don't see too many HR directors going to different countries because you have to make different states and you travel different cities, but different countries, you have to learn all different laws and all different ways of cultures and all different ways of talking to people. What was that jump like for you, especially going to Mexico City, one of the biggest cities in the world, one of the busiest hotels in the world? What was that like for you? Yes, you have to spend a lot of time with with people to understand, I would say the, the culture, but the culture is different thing. You have to understand the mindset. You know, the culture involves many things. I can learn food when I'm, I can learn about many different traditions, but if I want to connect with people, I just don't want to communicate. I'm the kind of person that wants to connect. So you need to understand the mindset, how people really think, what are their values? And I realized they have really high values, family values, and a lot of things that if you say something, you can really hurt someone. So you have to hold on and a lot many times and reset and think about the way you're going to say the things because people are so, so nice and good that you don't want to hurt anyone. So that was a nice learning. My left, he went to Hawaii. So I went with him to open the first edition for a while as a task force. Mm-hmm. Just to help but out. I was ready to stay if he wanted me to stay, but he knew that I have a big things coming from me in Mexico, but I moved with him for a while to Waikiki, Hawaii, to open our first edition as an HR, of course. <laughs> um, after a while, I, I went back to, to Mexico to welcome the new GM and continue working for him, always extraordinary people and very talented. And so, like you say, it's not yes. It's not easy to move from country to country in HR. Even different states is difficult. Imagine country traditions and law and regulations. I can unions. imagine. Mm-hmm. Unions. Unions all over. <laughs> I mean, you were doing a fantastic job there for six years because then you get another big promotion. And this is at a level where you really start to grow. And you're now market, a market director of human resources for the Mexico area. Right. And so how does that happen? Is it just because you were there in Mexico City at the best and biggest hotel or was it something that you went after and got? Both. I I was in a flagship hotel for the region. And at the same time, I was really looking for that. I was always telling my VP what exactly I was looking for. I try to avoid confusion or miscommunication because I like to be very clear with what I what I want. And what I expect from my career, I can be right or wrong. And I accept, of course, any feedback. But I like to be very clear. And I always suggest to people that wants to grow, go and tell your manager, go and tell your manager, this is what I want. This is my next position. This is what I'm looking for. This is the money I want to make. Be clear about that. Today, I'm very excited to have Jerry Williams Fitz, the Chief People Officer for Highgate Hotels. You don't stay in that the same role, but you become a corporate director of human resources at Wyndham. 
What was that like to go from a regional position to this corporate role for the first time? I can remember the jump was, given my role was, is still based in a hotel. It still gave me that connection of the human connection of operating in a hotel. And I know with your seasoned history, you understand what I'm saying. It wasn't an ivory tower type of position where I was sitting in a corporate, corporate office. So I did maintain a lot of that same role and responsibility and connection to the valued team that works so hard for us every day. But it also allowed me to go ahead and bring to the table some ideas and change and push myself up to the table and say, have we thought about this? And to help move continuous improvement processes forward and that bring a, a level of voice to the associates that I don't think necessarily had been as prevalent mm-hmm. at that given time. As I said earlier, in every meeting we have, in every board meeting, there needs to be that empty seat at the table that houses every one of your valued team members and the decision you make shape their life. And I took that very seriously then. I knew that every decision I made would impact someone's life and their family and them feeding their family and how they would move forward with their family. And that's something I think we always have to remember. Uh, This is very much a people business and was a people business then. And it, it continues to be even more so than ever at people business now. And how are you for the first time? Because how many HR directors were reporting to you? You have people all over the country, right? How yes. did you maintain that culture that you wanted to be seen across the company, across so many different hotels and properties? Well, I always believe you quit a boss. Uh, I think you really have got to, to remember where you came from and you remember that your job's no more important, in fact, less important than those who partner with you. And so being available and accessible and setting a foundation of trust is very important and is so important to me today. But more more so, I would say, I really take the time to understand not only what's on the surface and what's on that resume, but I really work hard to care about who you are as a person, what's important to you, what's important to your family, what makes you you, what do you love to do when you're not working? So one of my favorite questions as I speak with candidates and we look forward to bringing on board new people is really, let's not even talk about this resume. I can read about your amazing talent and your professional successes. But what are the things that really are important to you that, that in your next work responsibility is you're interviewing us as a company? What an honor that is. How can I make this be everything you've ever wanted to be? And, and when I interview folks to this day within the world of Highgate, I want them to want to work for Highgate. I'm proud to represent Highgate. But at the same time, individuals and human resources, not only do I want them to work for Highgate, but I want them to want to work for me. Gosh, that's a great answer as well. You're with Wyndham. You grow there again. You're there five years. It seems like that's a nice pattern for you. Five years, you're at that place. But then you make a big change and very different. You go to a company that at that time is growing, only 30 hotels at the time you join, and you join Highgate Hotels where you're at today. Why did you make that change? Well, at the time, going back to the Wyndham International days, Wyndham was acquired by Blackstone, and they did go through a large acquisition. And when they did that acquisition, um, some of the hotels 
transitioned to LXR, which was a spinoff of Blackstone. Others went to a company named Columbia Sussex, uh, which I got the privilege to work with. Others stayed within the Blackstone world. Some actually transitioned to Highgate, um, which was how I was introduced to Highgate. And others that were the remaining balance of Wyndham International spun to Sending Corporation. Shortly thereafter, there were six of me across the country within Wyndham International days. Mm-hmm. And then there was one of me, and I was the one retained. And so I got the honor to go ahead and spin the balance to Sendit Corporation and be part of the dissolve of Sendit and the launch of Wyndham Worldwide. Be partner in writing their guest service mantra, count on me. And continue to grow within the Wyndham Worldwide umbrella, as it's known today. Persephone, New Jersey wasn't in my eye length for my family and my life. And that is when uh, Highgate came came forward. And to say it was an easy transition is an understatement because I will say, I think I was pre predestined to work for Highgate because one of the beginning parts of Highgate was in their early beginnings in 1996 when they purchased the Detroit Renaissance Center and the Hotel Pontchartrain. And I had my prom at that, <laughs> that location. So I think it was written in the stars that I would eventually work with in the world of hiking. And so when you get there, it's a very different place than where you came from, right? You come from Wyndham, which at the time I'm sure is big corporate, lots of layers. You get the Highgate, which is a nice size hotel company at the time, but probably very different. What was it like transitioning to a smaller company at that time? It was exciting. It was terrifying. It was unnerving at times. Um, I think you said it best, that in the world of a larger organization, you have layers upon layers. And this was a really intimate, more family-oriented and and brilliant, brilliant organization that was founded by a father and two sons. They didn't have a great people pulse. They didn't have a large human resources community. Um, and they were operating in the absence of that in a brilliant way. They had had unbelievable success. And I really was working to establish a level of trust and respect and foundation of human resources within the organization. And I was privileged, blessed, and honored to have the autonomy to come into the organization and really make my mark on the company. Um, They handed me the company and said, make the culture. Um, make us best in breed, make us best in class. Let's be pioneering spirits. And I can remember in my first two weeks, brand new, sitting in my office, learning the new CEO, the COO who had been there for 30 years, who was a brilliant operator. He walked in my doorway, stood in my doorway and said, how's it going? (laughs) And I said, because I didn't know him yet. I said, respectfully, sir, the recruitment system is not working. (laughs) And he said, blow it up. And I said, respectfully, sir, we've invested around $140,000 in the system. And he said, yeah, but if they're working around it, it's worth nothing. Blow it up. And he turned and left. (laughs) And when I say terrifying uh, initially, 
it was because I felt paralyzed at that moment. In my former world, it would take a meeting to have a meeting to have a meeting to go back to the first meeting and do a CIP plan and really get a lot of blessings. And I thought to myself, do I really blow it up? And sure enough, within five minutes, I blew it up and we made a transitional change. But it was at that moment that I knew that there was something so distinctive, so unique, and so inspiring and freeing about working with this really cutting edge and dynamic organization. Did you have that entrepreneurial mindset? That's really what it was before. Did you have that before? Or was you like, wow, I just kind of like in the movies where like a spark goes off. It's like, this is what I was meant to do. I think I've always been fairly uh, edgy in what I did. I've always been really vocal. I've always been super hungry. But to the core of me, I've always been passionate. I think you've got to be passionate. And in my in my lifetime, and I remember my father early in, when I was in high school um, saying, you know what, you, I'm never going to worry about you. You are so passionate about people and life. And I think that for me, really ensuring that I worked with an organization that would embrace me and really allow me to bring my core values to the table was very important. Early in my career, and as, as we talked about what would we tell others, I remember that there was a time where I was in a role and I was getting a performance review. And I remember sitting across from this individual, and it was a very positive performance review. But I remember how I felt sitting in that chair across from that big desk. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the very end of that performance review, And again, it was a great performance review. But I remember the individual looking at me with a smile. And I'm going to back up a moment saying, and you know what? One final thing, we love having you. But you know what? You may want to tone it down. (laughs) And they tapped the desk. Wow. And I remember all the way to this day thinking to myself, self, what do I do with that? What do I say? I think it's time for me to go. And I looked at her <laughs> and I said, thank you. I said, you know what? I'll tone it down when you tell everyone to tone it up. I love that. So even early in my career, I was not afraid to be bold. And in the world of Highgate, boldness is everything. You know, we are big in inspiring greatness in everything we do. We're passionately obsessed with excellence, and we always put people first. And, and as I said before, you know, excellence is a blueprint, but people have to be at the center of everything we do. Oh, I love that, and, and I can feel it. So listeners, I, you don't get to see Jerry, but she just has that passion coming off of her, and I can feel it as I'm talking to her. Uh, which you need when you're in your position at any leadership position, but especially yours, because you are the keeper of the culture, like let's say about human resources. So you had to build this culture. You got to blow up the tools that didn't work for you right at the beginning. How did you start laying the foundation for building this culture that you envisioned? Well, I wish I could take full credit, but I cannot. It takes a village. And it was really enlisting all of the brilliant operators the principals, the CEO, all to be on board with 
we're going to do this and we're going to hold a very big mirror up to the organization and we're going to dissect our deficiencies and we're going to be committed together to change it. And so part of that platform was laying a foundation of doing a lot of listening tours, going around and sitting with value team members and hearing what their pain points were, understanding what was important to them, understanding what was working well and what wasn't working well. And then we launched in solicitation with a a third-party provider. We launched two associate engagement surveys, which they didn't have formerly. And the associate engagement surveys, one was 48 questions, and then mid-year we did a pulse survey of 10. When we did our initial survey, our beginning results were 72. Industry average was around a 68. In my mind, it was failing. And so what we did then was the most important piece. You can do a survey and ask for feedback, but it's what you do with that survey, as you're well aware. We went from getting 50 pages of feedback to 500 pages of feedback. And I will, again, do huge credit to the operators, the COO, the principals, who all tolerated sitting in a room with me and going through those surveys line by line by line. And making changes and committing to those changes in real time. Our survey results came back in 72 hours. So we had a window where a lot of companies utilize a survey and they get the results after three months and they don't share it with people. We gave everyone a copy, Mm -hmm. the good, bad, the ugly. And we didn't want to cultivate an atmosphere of secrets. And so what we did with that information was consistently mix an insane batch of Kool-Aid and require people to drink it. And every day we had to refine that mixture. Well, fast forward many years later, we took our individual survey and our individual survey ranked us in 86, 98% participation rate with over 17,000 associates. Wow. And our operators ranked us in 92. What an honor, what a privilege that we collectively have done some really great things. And how we did that was by saying, because you told us, because you told us, we're making these change because you told us. So when our associates suggested changes to our benefit platforms, we're making them because you told us. Everything was their idea. So to say it's our company is not accurate. It's their company. It's your company. And so the ideas that were put forth were all of them. Um, and I just happened to be part of that communication vessel to help make that happen. And how did you start communicating that with all the, the team members across the company? Because it's one thing to get all their data. And what you're saying is, hey, you're the ones telling us this. How did you communicate that through all the properties you now have? Or at that time, you were growing quickly. How did you do that? Again, a lot of listening tours, a lot of going and sharing the results, providing them the feedback, ensuring that every single hotel had copies of all of their comments, um, which was very, very important. Um, We didn't filter them in any way whatsoever. We had town hall meetings happen across our entire portfolio where they did go ahead and share the results. And the leader of that respective hotel would be very vulnerable. And they would go up in front of everyone and read some of the comments. And one of them might say, 
the general manager is unapproachable or the human resources individual was not responsive to my needs. They would say it aloud. And that right there really disarmed our associates and realized that we weren't afraid. We weren't afraid of the feedback. One very funny story is I remember going in a hotel in San Francisco and I, I, when I'm in a hotel, I walk every hotel. I talk to every associate. I do town hall meetings. I meet with the team, the associates. I go fold laundry in the, in the housekeeping department. I love to hang out in the kitchen. You'll know that. Um, but I walked into a hotel and I noticed behind the front desk that they only had one printer and that some of their terminals needed to be replaced. So I tend to wave a fairy wand and I said, you know what? I want these replaced in the next 24 hours. And when they come in tomorrow, I really want them to have bows on them. And I want it to be this really grand unveilment. And in their associate engagement survey, they had indicated tools to do their job. And so the next day I received a call from the team and they said, Jerry, oh my goodness, we love these wonderful new terminals and this new printer but can we have a stapler? <laughs> and so I felt that it was the most complicated things that they needed, but really sometimes it's about the simplest. And so anything I would share with leaders coming up is to listen, to ask questions, and just realize that those simple tools to do someone's job each and every day are some of the most satisfying and gratifying for the team. You touched on something, you know, one of the hardest positions I think in a hotel are those first time managers, assistant managers, mid-level managers that are getting pressure from their team and also from directors and from their corporate office. What advice do you have for them as they're starting out to like build their own culture within their department? Because that's usually what sometimes it is like, yes, the overall brand has a culture, but how do you create your own culture in that room service department or that housekeeping department that maybe not everybody sees? I would answer that by saying respect the history. You have people who have been in their valued roles for years and years who have so much knowledge. And I learn every day from people I work around and I learn every day from our valued teams in the hotels. They help me be a better leader. And I take that very much as an honor and so I would say anyone going into a leadership role has to go in with a humbleness and a humility. We all come from pedigrees and backgrounds and have life experiences and work experience, which are wildly valuable. But going ahead and going into an organization and respecting where they've been and where they are today and then making them a partner on how we're going to move it forward would be the best advice I would provide. Yeah. So for any listeners out there that are just starting out, I think you rewind that while you're driving here. Just listen to it again. because that's, that's great advice, Jerry. Now, Highgate has grown exponentially since you got there, right? It's yes, not a little hotel anymore, like a group when you started. So how many hotels are there now? Well over 550. Right. And you've taken over a bunch that were previous management companies and previous brands. How do you incorporate those companies that the people working there maybe got used to drinking the Kool-Aid of another company and now starting to come into yours. How do you incorporate them into your, your team, into your family? I would go back to that same answer, honoring who they are and what culture they've already had. 
and bring their best of best practices and learn from them. And it's not because Highgate does everything perfectly. You know, a great example of that is we just went through an acquisition with the Viceroy brand. They have an amazing ethos and we're so eager and excited to keep that intact. We don't want that to feel unvalued. We're learning from what they've done. And so I believe any organization has to be open to learning and changing and molding and being pioneering because you never know what is behind every every corner. People who succeed in our organization have something very much in common. They have that entrepreneurial spirit. And while our roles are really different, we really celebrate differing opinions to help us drive success. And so what I would say is we want our leaders never to be done learning and always seek to improve themselves. So we want them to be curious and uh, again, look at possibilities and act and explore them. And, you know, consistently think of ways that we can think like an owner. And in my mind, being a SimSheet-obsessed, guest-obsessed is critical. And the best leaders start with their people and work backwards. You know, they work vigorously to learn and keep the trust of the people they work with and for would be the best answer I could give you, Steve. I think it makes sense. You can do it in a big picture and you can do it just in your department. So it works across the board. I love that. And so I used to work for Viceroy. So I'm excited to see what you all are going to do with that brand because I'm a big fan of it. Um, so I'm excited to see how it grows. I know you all will do great things with it. Is there anything you can share with us or is it all top secret right now? It's such a special group of hotels, as you're well aware. Um, they are unbelievable, to be quite honest. Yeah. They're, they're pretty amazing. And so I would say the one thing I can share is our desire to grow the brand. Uh, I, I think that the power of Highgate with the power of their amazing culture and ethos is going to be an unbeatable combination. There's a lot of parallels that Highgate has with Viceroy um, surrounding hiring the best and developing the best and and recognizing exceptional talent, but our willingness to go ahead and take their organization to another level by by looking at assets that are worthy of that viceroy flag is going to be a, a very exciting venture for us as we move forward. Yeah. So listeners, Highgate has fantastic hotels. Make sure you also look at what they have now with Viceroy. It's like the, the screensaver hotels, I call them. It's like where you want to go and imagine and dream to be. Um, so I love, I love hearing that about it. So you're now in this position of overseeing all of these hotels. It's definitely a challenge. You know, I've always been curious in your role. A lot of the leaders of hotels, not a lot, but most of them are alpha females and alpha males running their hotels. And sometimes they may not agree with everything that's being sent to them. How do you ensure that you work with those leaders that may not want to run things the way it's seen at a corporate level? I would say that the leaders are obligated to be respectfully challenging in decisions when they don't agree, right? Um, you know, I think leaders operate at all different levels. And the first thing is to ensure that you've garnered trust. And I've said trust several times because I do think that 
the best leaders I've gotten the opportunity to partner with listen attentively, they speak candidly, but they always treat others respectfully. And they're vocally self-challenging, and they're also challenging against their team. And they benchmark themselves and their teams against the very best. Um, But the one thing I would say is that disagreement is healthy. Conviction and being tenacious without compromising, you know, yourself and having ego in that. Making decisions that are the best decisions is incredibly important. And so all of us want to deliver results. All of us want to show value. All of us want to feel like we're contributors. Um, But I do think, and going back to the trust component, if you establish that trust and that respect, your voice is relevant. And so when we bring individuals and we, again, talk about hiring the best and expect the best, The one thing I share with everyone is when you come into the organization, don't show us what we already know. Show us what we don't know. Show us what we don't see. And don't be afraid to give us that opinion because it is going to make us a better company. And it's the differing opinions that's going to make us stronger as an organization. And it's going to help aid in driving our success for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.